it was found out that children who napped right after being taught the new words were able to remember plenty more words and to recall them easier than the children who did not take a nap. You are listening to episode 508 of the Latina Mom Legacy podcast. Can raising a bilingual child affect how a child sleeps? What are some of the most common mistakes parents make with kids when it comes to sleeping? In this episode, Latina Mom of Three sleep expert and founder of Not A Peep located in Philly, Maria Lopez, helps answer those questions. Join us as we talk about how language affects sleep patterns, how sleep can help your child learn a language, and what happens to kids' sleep as they grow older. Is your teen just lazy? Plus, Maria debunks some common sleep myths and shares her personal experience raising bilingual daughters. Yo, a bilingual parenting educator, author, and multilingual parent mom Jenny Perez te invito as we take a closer look así que no te lo pierdas I'm so excited to have on today's show Maria Lopez. Maria is a pediatric sleep specialist and she's going to give us bilingual sleep strategies and what we all need to know and what we all should know. Maria, thank you so much for being on today's show. Thank you, Jenny, for having me. So excited to be here. So I can't wait to dive deeper into bilingual sleep strategies because this is something that I wish I had known when I had my daughter. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your background and your personal bilingual parenting journey. Absolutely. So I currently live in Philly with my family of five. I have three little girls. I have a Colombian background. I was actually born and raised in Colombia and I have been living in the U.S. for the past 25 years. Oh, we're in Colombia. From Bogota, from the oh. capital. Yeah, I know, Jenny, you have family. Yes, or, yes. Or, yeah, the Medellin, the Medellin. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. It's such a wonderful city. So yeah, so I am trying to raise my girls. We are trying to raise our girls in a way that they not only grow up to be fully bilingual, but also grow up to be very proud of their heritage, right? That's been kind of our main goal with them. And I am also, on top of being a mom, the owner and founder of Not A Peep, which is a sleep consultant agency based in Philadelphia, where we are able to help families not only nationwide, but also worldwide. That's wonderful. Now, you are married, correct? I am. Now, is your husband Colombian too, or where is he from? My husband was born into a Filipino family. He was born and raised here in the United States, but his parents are from Manila in the Philippines. So he is first generation American. Oh, very good. Now, what do they speak in the Philippines? I'm like so ignorant right now. <laughs> they speak Tagalog, which interestingly, it's a mix of their own native language, English and Spanish. So they do have a few words in Spanish here and there, which I had no idea until I met him. Interestingly, though, my husband was never taught Tagalog. Unfortunately, his parents were adamant that he doesn't speak with English with an accent and that he fits right in. So they never mm -hmm. taught him how to speak Tagalog. And I think I think that has also influenced him to be said like very on board with me about raising our girls to be fully bilingual because he feels like that was a chance that he totally missed, right? You and I, we both know that bilingualism, no matter which languages you speak, is great for children, right? So I think that that has helped a lot to open his eyes and say, no, I want something different. <laughs> yeah, that's very common with parents, especially with first generation parents that they 
have fears that their children are going to grow up with probably an accent or perhaps an accent that they're going to get picked on, that they're going to have limitations or they're going to be discriminated again because of their background. So many first generation parents choose to not speak their native language to children. And it's when those children grow up that they understand that they are at a loss. And I've interviewed parents now who are reclaiming their language and reclaiming their cultural background so that they're able to pass that along to their children because they understand the benefits of the bilingualism and also to have that connection to their culture. So I'm just curious, like, did he at one point want to learn the language or did he was just like, it's just too difficult? I think for him, it wasn't even a choice. I think for him, it was kind of like a given that he was supposed to speak English and only English. I don't think he was ever curious to learn, right? To the point where he had never really visited the Philippines before he met me. And hmm. I actually encouraged him to visit the Philippines. I said, you know, it's really important to go and see where your roots came from, right? We're going to understand yourself so much more once you go and see where you came from. He listened to me and he visited the Philippines, right? before we got married. And it was a life-changing experience for him. I bet. I bet. No, that's wonderful that he did that. And that have your children gone to the Philippines? We have not yet. It's definitely on our bucket list. They have been many, many times to Colombia, though, <laughs> and they absolutely love, adore going there. The exposure to the language does wonders for them. And they are very, very proud to tell everybody that their mom is from Colombia. They kind of wear that as a badge of honor, which I love, right? They almost brag about it. Instead of being embarrassed or ashamed, you know, I have always always taught them that they have an advantage being bilingual and knowing another language and being open to visiting other parts of the world, right? That's wonderful that they have visited Colombia. And it's interesting. And I should say moms usually tend to be the ones to sort of pick up the language and cultural legacy. And we tend to be the ones to enforce that a little bit more than our husband. I speaking from personal experience as well with my husband, that I'm the one that pushes for the my husband's Bulgarian. I'm the one that pushes for the Bulgarian language classes. I'm the one that pushed so much for us to do a family trip to visit Bulgaria and not just for like a couple days, but I wanted to like spend a month there. I really wanted my daughter to be immersed in the culture and the language. So I think if you're a mom listening and it tends to be like we have the burden on our shoulder or the weight on our shoulders, but it definitely will pay off in the end with our children. Absolutely. 100%. So let's talk a little bit about your bilingual parenting journey and how that has evolved with your children. Like, what does that look like in your home? We read in Spanish. So to the girls, or I read them to the girls, when they watch TV, we make sure that most of the time they are watching TV in Spanish too, which I love technology for that because now you can. <laughs> Pretty much every show that you watch is available in Spanish, which I love. And every chance that we get to immerse the girls in the language, we do. So like, for example, they always went to a preschool that was Spanish immersion, right? And once they started elementary school, I made sure that they were still enrolled in Spanish classes. They have many language options, but I made sure that they continued their Spanish, right? And that's kind of what we do. And I make sure that I 
I'm always speaking Spanish to the girls. And it's very cute to see them completely switch. Like they automatically know when they speak to their dad, they speak English. When they speak to me, they speak Spanish. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It's so important and it's so much more beneficial for parents to establish that early on because the child will just automatically gravitate to one parent in one language and another parent in another language. For me, that's like my biggest recommendation is to have those clear intentions. I certainly wasn't as clear when my daughter was younger. So it presents a little bit more challenges, but she is being raised trilingually and we make it work. And that's important for you to find out what works for you and your family and to make it work. 100%. Absolutely. Now, how old are your daughters? They are almost 11, almost eight and four. Oh, now do you have any specific like books or recommendations or shows or apps, anything that your girls like and enjoy right now that you can share with our parents? There's a lot of access to shows easily in Spanish now. So there isn't really a specific app that we use for that purpose, but we do pay attention to the content of the shows. We want it to be inclusive and we love shows that include Hispanic characters. There is, for example, a TV show, Disney TV show called Elena. I think the princess is Elena. I forget mm -hmm. the name of the show, but it's a great one that they love watching. And you can find a lot of shows like that on Netflix and on Disney that will feature Hispanic characters and that are completely available in Spanish. And as far as books, again, I love technology. I love that we are in an era where you can have access to so many things. You can literally find all of your favorite bedtime stories and all of your favorite books in Spanish on Amazon. Um, I have all of the Mo Willems books, which I love mm -hmm. Mo Willems. Spanish, you know, Goodnight Gorilla, which is a great, great cute little book for children. We have that in Spanish. I do a lot of women empowerment with, uh, content with them. So the whole series, the books for rebel girls, that's what it is called. It's fully available in Spanish as well. And we love reading that. Yeah. So I just make sure that I'm always getting stuff that's in Spanish. I love that. Are you familiar with Nuestra.tv? I am not. I recently had on Maria Twina from Nuestra.tv and she's a creator of Marivi. And Nuestra.tv is a platform, it's a streaming platform like Netflix, but it was created by Latinos for Latinos and it has Spanish and bilingual English content for kids, for adults, for all the generations. So if your mom wants to watch something, there's a novela or a show for her. If your kids, if you want to watch something and if your kids want to watch something, there is something for everyone. So right now it's free because it's something that just launched late last year, but definitely te lo recomiendo. I recommend checking it out. No cuesta wow. nada. So why not? <laughs> Yeah, I definitely will. Let's see, I learned something new today, Jenny. Thank you. That's You're awesome. welcome. Maria, any other tips or recommendations that you would give for parents and moms listening, raising bilingual kids? Consistency, you know, and that is really what's going to be your best friend for sleep as well when we get into the sleep topic in a little bit. But consistency is really, really key. If you really are committed to teaching your kids a second language, you got to make sure that you really stick to it. It's hard to do that sometimes. It's it's hard even for me. Sometimes I'm too tired. I don't know what I'm putting mm -hmm. the effort, but it is at the end is so 
so rewarding. It's the best thing for me to see my girls to be able to write and read in Spanish and to have a full conversation like nothing's happening with their grandparents in Spanish. It's the best. I agree 100% consistency and then understanding that you go through seasons, like you say, sometimes it's going to be great and sometimes it's not going to be so good. Sometimes you're going to want to give up and and just continue with it and you'll go far with it. Yeah, sometimes your almost teenager is going to not want to speak another language to you and you're going to have to pretend like you're deaf. (laughs) I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, but uh, I know it's coming. So Maria, thank you so much for sharing. We're going to be talking about sleep and how bilingualism or having a bilingual household can affect it. We are back and I am here with Maria and we're going to talk about bilingualism and sleep and especially how being bilingual or living in a bilingual household can affect a child's sleep. So Maria, let's talk about how bilingualism can affect a child's sleep. Jenny, so it's not so much about how bilingualism affects a child's sleep, but it's actually the relationship between sleep and language is the other way around. So sleep is essential for language development and more so in bilingual children, right? So we know that there are certain stages of sleep at night that are particularly responsible for the brain's cognitive functioning, and that includes language development. When we sleep, when we are in very deep sleep, slow wave sleep, that is mainly when the brain collects and processes all of the information that it learns throughout the day and it filters through. And that's literally when the useful information sticks, and that includes new vocabulary. And so it's very important. Sleep is very, very important in language development. So let's talk a little bit. You mentioned slow wave. What exactly is slow wave? Explain it to us in like common people terms. <laughs> slow wave sleep is just it just refers to our deep sleep throughout the night. And also when we take naps, we go through different stages of sleep. Some of these stages are light sleep and some other stages are deep sleep. And then there's also the very famous REM stage of sleep. Slow wave sleep occurs during the deepest stages of sleep. It's typically the third phase of sleep, of our sleep cycles. We call it slow wave because when you look at an EKG or the vital signs of someone who's in deep sleep, the spindles are very short. It's very, everything's slow. Your brain is kind of like dormant, your heart rate drops. So it's slow wave sleep. Does that also happen like when you meditate? Do you know? Meditation can definitely help drop your heart rate and relax, but it's not the same as deep sleep. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So is slow wave the same as REM? Because I know REM and I'm not talking about like REM, like the band, like the Mm -hmm. REM sleep. Is that the same as the slow wave or no? It isn't. Actually, slow wave sleep is part of non-REM sleep. REM sleep is a completely kind of its own. It's also very important for cognitive development. It's the stage of sleep where we dream. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what it's famous for. But when you look at the vital signs of someone in REM sleep, they look exactly as the vital signs of someone who is completely awake. It's amazing. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. (laughs) And REM is when you dream. Yes, exactly. 
Ah, well, that kind of makes sense because when you're dreaming, I mean, I'm like flying, I'm doing like all sorts of things. So (laughs) that is very interesting. So you mentioned that slow wave is sort of where the brain kind of not processes language, but I guess helps absorb the language. Is is that a good way to say it? Yes, that is a perfect way to put it. In fact, there is there was a recent study done on young children where they observed kids who did not nap and children who did nap, and they were presented with a set of new vocabulary with new words and it was found out that children who napped right after being taught the new words were able to remember plenty more words and to recall them easier than the children who did not take a nap. Oh, that's so interesting. And to me, it kind of makes sense because I feel like the subconscious is taking in information. And when you rest and when you take naps, that's sort of where your awake brain sort of relaxes. And then you can kind of really start to process information. So I'm definitely not surprised by that. Are there any specific strategies in terms of enhancing that slow wave sleep in children to sort of take advantage of that when you're trying to raise them bilingually? Yes. So definitely your best friend is going to be avoiding retiredness and making sure that your child is going to bed early. The reasons behind this are, number one, when you go to bed too tired. When you've waited too long to go to bed, you are overtired. And when you do that, your body tends to skip important phases of sleep. And we don't want your child skipping, you know, the deep phases of sleep where the slow wave sleep is occurring, right? Mm -hmm. Also, we know that slow wave sleep takes place for the most part during the first half of the night versus the second half of the night. So putting them in bed too late, you've missed out on the chance to get to or to give them the most amount of slow wave sleep possible. Oh, I didn't know that. That's really good to know. I know my daughter Zaid and she loves to go to bed late. Mm-hmm. Typically, I have to have her in bed like by 930. But I realized that she doesn't really fall asleep until like 10 or 1030 sometimes. And she's an early riser. She's always been an early riser. And what I wanted to share with you was because I hired a sleep consultant when she was a baby is that even as a baby, she was a very fussy child. She didn't sleep a whole lot. And I don't know if that continues to translate as they get older, but I do notice that she doesn't require or I don't know if requires the word, but she doesn't typically sleep a whole lot. And she's always been this way in comparison to other children that I know and some of her friends that they're in bed at eight o'clock and it's like hard to get them out of bed at 10. What are your thoughts? There are certain sleep quotas that children do need to meet. And as adults, we also have our sleep quota that we need to meet to be you know, healthy, to stay healthy. However, you know, there is a range. And within that range, some people need more sleep than others. And that really just comes to, your, to the way you are, right? Down to genetics and the way you're built. So it might very well be that she just isn't a person who needs a lot of sleep, right? And able to be healthy and happy 
And one of the things I would be paying attention to is exactly what you mentioned, mood during mm-hmm. the day or yeah. school performance, right? If you notice that they're just tired and it's affecting school performance or it's causing behavioral issues even at school or even at home, that is when I would be start to be to pay close attention to their sleep quota and tweaking things. Yeah, definitely. My husband's like that. He can sleep a lot. I don't need a whole lot of sleep person. So I think she maybe takes after me. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, genetics, genetics definitely play a role. That is actually called a chronotype. Yes, we do. We all have a circadian rhythm and we all need sleep, but it varies. Our schedules all vary a little bit, right? Some people are ready to go to bed at 9 p.m. Some people are ready to go to bed at midnight. And that necessarily doesn't mean that you are depriving yourself of sleep. You mentioned earlier about consistency in raising bilingual children and consistency in sleep. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that in terms of how we can help our children, especially if we're trying to raise them bilingually? Like how does being consistent and perhaps having sleep routines, how does that help them? So for those of you who worry about having consistent bedtime routines and not confusing your child, especially, I don't want anybody to worry. You can totally have a bilingual bedtime routine. So as long as the one person who's doing your routine is doing their whole bedtime routine in their language, and then the other person, say mom, steps in and she's doing the whole bedtime routine in Spanish, like it is in my case, it's completely okay. I tend to see that consistency with bedtime meticulously is a source of anxiety for parents. Some families are very peculiar to even the way that their child is laid down in bed. And so they're afraid (laughs) to maybe start using different languages for different things around bedtime. And it absolutely does not have any negative effect on sleep. So as long as there's some sort of consistency in terms of this is the order in which things happen, right? Bedtime routine starts at the same time every night, that sort of thing you want to pay attention to, but it's completely okay to have a bedtime routine that's, you know, bilingual. Does the fact that you're bilingual or you're maybe live in a multilingual house, does that affect like the child's brain? Like in terms of prior to them sleeping, like is their brain more active? Like do they have more brain activity or do you know if it's similar to a monolingual child? Sleep is universal. It's the same for a monolingual child. We do know that when children are going through bursts of new vocabulary, it tends to cause sleep regressions. The famous 18-month sleep regression, it's in part due to the explosion of vocabulary that goes on at that age, simply because the brain has to work really hard to build all those new networks for the new language skills, right? And so it's like putting someone asleep who's on adrenaline, (laughs) right? Working, working, working so hard all the time, even while it sleeps. So it tends to disrupt sleep temporarily. You know, I find it fascinating now in hindsight that I'm learning this because I mentioned earlier that I hired a sleep consultant with my daughter at around, I would say, 12 months or so because she wasn't sleeping at all through the night. And I thought it was like teething. I thought it was like a number of things. But now listening to you, I realize that 
she was processing so much information early on and so much language information early on that she had a lot of trouble sleeping and therefore we had a lot of trouble sleeping. She was assessed close to 18 months and at 18 months, her vocabulary and her cognitive in terms of logic and linguistics were that of an almost three-year-old. So at 12 months, she probably was closer to, you know, a child that's like two years old developing and learning so much language. So that explains to me, you just like explained to me why she didn't sleep and why we didn't sleep for so long. <laughs> I thought it was a teething. It's you learn something every day. You, you, you learn something every day. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about how culture and where you're from and even where you live, how does that affect sleep in children? So we know that several cultures, many, many different cultures look at sleep in many different ways, right? In some cultures, it's completely okay to co-sleep. It's the norm, right? Or baby wear. In some other societies, such as ours, we prefer to babies sleep in their own space, right? So that's one thing. There, you know, culturally, many societies don't really give sleep a priority either. It is looked at as a, a non, not an essential thing. <laughs> I know for sure, like, and I don't know if this was just a thing in my house growing up and uh, you're Columbus, so maybe you can tell me, but I know that sleeping in our home was associated with being lazy, with being perezoso. Oh, no. 100%. When I was a teenager and I wanted to sleep, I had my mom knocking on my bedroom door, you know, saying, get up. Don't be lazy. <laughs> Why are you still in bed? Uh, hacer algo? Ponte a limpiar. Levántate. And so it's why I love what I do too, because we are now educating parents about sleep is essential, right? It's just as important as, as eating. It's one of our necessities, main necessities, right? And in teenagers especially is very, very much needed. People just think teenagers are lazy. No, they really, really need that much sleep. <laughs> physically, biologically. So, and I learned something recently. You, the expert, you tell me if this is correct, but I was reading that as teenagers, their kind of internal clock shifts and they tend to get up later. Like the school system, most schools start earlier because at that point they start getting jobs and they end school earlier. But the reality is that it should be the other way around because I guess internally their systems require them to or prefer them to sleep later and start later. Is that correct? That is correct. Their circadian rhythm shifts with puberty by about three hours. So what that means is typically a young adult is ready to go to bed at 10 p.m. They're not ready to go to bed until well into 2 a.m. or 1 a.m. And asking a teenager to wake up at 6 a.m., it's like asking you and me to wake up at 3 a.m., be at school by 4.30 a.m. Yeah. And our brains are at their most productive stages in the morning, the first half of the day. And so if you're asking somebody to sit through an entire class at 4 a.m., they're not going to be at their most productive, right? They're going to be exhausted. They're not going to retain any information. And this is why schools are pushing for later start times and actually later end times. It's a huge debate right now because it would literally require 
the workforce to completely change because parents have to go to work earlier and get out of work earlier. So if you have your child starting school at 9 a.m. and ending school at 4.30 p.m., it no longer fits your work schedule. So that's a problem. Yeah, no, I I can totally see that. So if you're listening and you have a teenager and they want to stay up a little bit later, just remember that it's not their fault. (laughs) It's completely normal. Go back to normal soon. Teenagers just need a lot more sleep than even grownups or other children because they're going through so many hormonal changes. Well, it makes sense. I mean, going back to your point, if your child has experiences regression in sleep when they're learning vocabulary and when their body's trying to process everything that's going on, think about you as a teenager when you're trying to process all the emotions, all the hormonal changes, everything like that's a lot for your brain. Like your brain is like a computer. It needs some time to like update (laughs) the information and it needs time to download that information. So yeah, give your kids a break if they're sleeping. (laughs) Yes. Their body needs it. Their brain needs it. Not a lot of people know this, but the growth hormone is mostly produced when when we sleep. We do most of our growing (laughs) when we sleep. So they just need so much sleep. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Are you a language enthusiast looking to expand your linguistic horizons? Well, I have the perfect solution just for you. Introducing Audible, your gateway to a world of imagination and language learning. With Audible, you can immerse yourself in a vast library of audiobooks spanning every imaginal genre, including books in multiple languages. From thrilling stories to self-help and educational titles, my personal favorites. Audible has everything you need to enhance your language skills. And here's the best part. For a limited time, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial exclusively for our language-loving listeners. Así mismo. 30 days of unlimited access to thousands of audiobooks completely free. Gratis. To take advantage of this incredible offer, simply visit audibletrial.com forward slash legacy. That's audibletrial.com forward slash M-I-L-E-G-A-S-I. With Audible, you can listen to your favorite books anytime, anywhere, whether you're on the go, working out or simply relaxing at home. Audible lets you enjoy stories in multiple languages wherever you are. Sign up today at audibletrial.com forward slash me legacy. With Audible, it's time to start listening. Maria, what are some common myths that parents have, especially parents that are raising bilingual children when it comes to sleep in their children? So the first thing that comes to mind is the anxiety with using different languages during bedtime routine. It's absolutely not true that it's going to confuse your child or that it's going to ruin their sleep. Absolutely, you can continue to have a bedtime routine in whatever languages you want to speak at home. (laughs) It's not going to confuse them and it's not going to change the way that they sleep. There's another thing that I find, not just in families who are bilingual, but in families who are also multicultural, which is they tend to think that the child should adapt to whatever culturally, whatever schedule it is that they have, right? So I will give you an example. If there's a family in Spain who, you know, where culturally it's completely okay to eat dinner at 9 p.m. and go to bed at 10 p.m., they, they're telling themselves, well, it is what it is. And then that's what we're going to continue to do. And that's not going to work for your child if you are not living in Spain, <laughs> We have a completely different social schedule here where we need to be in school at 7 a.m. And if you're laying your child down at 10 p.m. and they need to be awake by 6 p.m., all you're doing is depriving them of sleep, right? So it's best to adjust 
to wherever you know you live to make sure that your child is getting enough sleep. Does that make sense? Yes, that totally makes sense. I can see that because I know like my husband's Bulgarian and him and his mom, like they're night owls and like they're up until one or two in the morning. My husband's sometimes three. This is like a and his mom is the same, but they're not up until like 10 in the morning. I mean, my husband, he gets up a little bit early, but when my mother-in-law is visiting and I'm like when they when my mother-in-law comes to visit and my daughter is still in school, I have to be like reminder. She cannot stay up until 11 o'clock at night. She has to go to school. <laughs> yeah. And it's important to keep in mind how many hours is there of sleep does your child need, right? Is it going to work for you that your child wakes up at 10 a.m.? No, it doesn't. It's just not the way things work in the society that you live in. So Exactly. Tell us about Not A Peep and the services that you offer. Absolutely. So I founded Not A Peep Back in 2017, I was once a very sleep-deprived mom, and that's what got me (laughs) into sleep. Because once I got my first daughter sleeping well, it was life-changing for me. And so I created Not A Peep with one thing in mind, which is making parenthood enjoyable and easier for everybody. This idea that if you make the choice to have children, if you make the choice to be a parent automatically implies that then you have to be sleep deprived and you have to take it because that was your life choice, right? Doesn't have to be like that. You can absolutely 100% be a parent without sacrificing your sleep and without sacrificing your family dynamics. Because let's be honest, when one member of the family is sleep deprived, everybody takes a toll. That one member isn't happy. It's exhausted all the time, irritable. The other family members are going to feel it too, right? So that's my mission is to make sure that you can enjoy your parenthood, right? That you can say, yes, I am a parent, but I'm happy and I sleep and everybody sleeps and yay, right? And so we offer a very wide range of services. We work with parents who are expecting all the way up to children who are 10 years old. So all like really all throughout childhood with all sorts of sleep issues. And we offer in-home services as well as virtual services. Our virtual services are available around the world and nationwide. I love that. And if you are experiencing sleep issues with your child or if your child is having difficulty sleeping, whether your child is a baby or I love that you guys do older kids as well. I highly, highly, highly recommend seeking a sleep specialist. This was my saving grace with my daughter because I'm telling you, we did not sleep for years. And you're right. When you're sleep deprived as a mom, as a dad, as a family, you just cannot function normally in your everyday life. You can't. You're irritable. You're cranky. You're tired. Everything that would normally not set you off if you get enough sleep will set you off because you're just a walking, ticking time bomb. And that's not a way to live as a mom and that's not a way to live as a family. So if you are experiencing any sleep issues with your child, I'm sure that you guys do calls. Do you guys do like consultation calls? We do. And we actually offer free evaluation calls. It's just an opportunity for the families to get to know us for us to to tell them about the process and hear a little bit more about, you know, their particular issues. 
Yes. Once again, this will be your saving grace. No cuesta nada. Do the call. And let me tell you, every penny that I spent on my sleep consultant was a penny worth spent because I was able to sleep and get my sanity back. So I love what you guys are doing. Thank you, Danny. Yeah, and you just said exactly what I live for. Exactly what I love to hear, which is you just saved my life. I hear that all the time and it's just the best feeling. <laughs> yes, yes. Maria, is there any last sleep tips for parents? Absolutely. I have many tips. Let's see. Consistency. We already talked about that early bedtimes. And the most important tip that I'm going to give you, stop helping your child fall asleep. Stop it. Stop it. If you <laughs> wait, what do you mean? Stop helping your child fall asleep. Wait, wait, wait. Like como costumbre, like to do something with them, like help them fall asleep on their own. Is that what you're talking about? You have to explain. I'm so curious. I'm gonna have a conversation with my husband right now. <laughs> I want to make this very clear. There are plenty of children who get help falling asleep who sleep well. Okay. So if this is your child, you don't need to change anything. But when you say help your child fall asleep, define what do you mean by helping your child fall asleep? Oh gosh. So many things we do to help them fall asleep. For example, if you are rocking your, your baby until they are asleep and then you're laying them down already asleep or feeding them to sleep and then you lay them down already asleep. Or, you know, in the case of older children, if you are holding their hand until they fall asleep. So help falling asleep, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't do these things because if you're doing all these things and your child is sleeping and everyone's sleeping, that's great, right? You don't need to change a thing. But your child isn't sleeping well, right? Maybe who's waking up endlessly at night or a child, an older child who has never slept well. That is the first thing that you want to look at. Am I helping them fall asleep or not? And that is the number one thing that you need to work on is walking away from, not from them, but staying, trying to move away from offering help falling asleep. Because they're becoming dependent on that, right? To fall asleep. Is that correct? That is correct. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I'll tell you my experience. With my daughter, my daughter is eight. How I, quote, help her fall asleep is we read before she goes to bed. Y le echo la bendición, chao. Mm -hmm. However, my husband, ya la acostumbrado, has accustomed her to rub her back when she falls asleep. So now I noticed that she got into this habit that after I read to her, y le echo la bendición, is daddy. And then he goes into bed and rubs her back until he she falls asleep. And I told him, I said, you have to stop doing that. Like, this is not helping her. And he's like, yeah. I was like, but what if you have stuff to do? What are you going to like be there scratching her back and like you have things to do? No. <laughs> it's completely okay. I mean, he can still rub her back. He just shouldn't do it until she's fully asleep. So he can mm. go in and do a few, a few rub. The problem with getting to the point of being fully asleep with help is the fact that for a lot of children, it doesn't allow them to consolidate sleep. So sleep isn't just about I am able to put myself in to sleep initially when I lay down, but am I able to put myself right back to sleep when I wake up in the middle of the night? Mm. Yeah. Several times at night, right? Without waking up at night does not exist. It's just not how it works. So for adults, for you and me, Jenny, it's very easy to toss and turn right around and go back to sleep. But say you have a baby who's always been rocked to sleep. If he or she is awake at 2 a.m. in the morning and the issue isn't hunger, they're like, I don't know how to 
go back to sleep. I need somebody to come rock me, right? Yeah, I could definitely, definitely see that. And you would think that something is wrong with them or they're hungry or they're in pain or they're... And Mm -hmm. what they're expressing is that they need you in order for them to go back to sleep. Exactly. It's like a crutch. And it happens with adults because I know my sister's one that will say that she needs the TV to fall asleep. And if she wakes up in the middle of the night, guess what? She has to turn the TV on because she can't. So it's creating those habits, not good habits, mind you. But yeah, I could totally see that. Maria, thank you so much. Where can my listeners connect with you and get more information on not a peep? They can find us on social media. Our handle is baby sleep coaching. And our website is not-a-peep.com. There you have it. And you can find her on all social media, including threads, which is where we met. <laughs> I know. Uh, which is a whole new world of, I don't know what we're doing, but <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> it's been fun. It's been fun. Maria, thank you so much. We're going to do a fast round of questions coming up. We are back and it is a show tradition that we ask our guests the same round of questions. Maria, this is your first round of questions. Are you ready? I am ready. What is your biggest struggle as a mom? Uh, Having to be a completely different parent to each one of my kids because they're all so different. They require completely parenting style, each one of them. (laughs) I love that. And I love that you acknowledge that they're different and they have different needs. And therefore, you have to show up differently for each one of them. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. What is the best piece of advice that you've gotten from a mom or your mom? To let go, to let go of the small things. It's okay if the house is a mess just for one day. It's okay if your child put the laundry away, not the way you wanted it put away, right? Once you let go of the small things, you're anxiety free. Yes, yes. And it's okay if your husband puts the laundry away, not in the best way too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Finish the sentence. Growing up Latina, I... Uh, I was so happy. My childhood was just the best. I love that. What Latino dish would you like to pass down to your girls and why? The Sancocho. Mm. The Sancocho is it's just so delicious, but we have a family recipe that my girls just adore. And they ask me to make the Sancocho for them all the time. So I have to share with you, I had Ajiaco for the first time very recently, and I didn't know that they serve it with, I guess it's like sour cream or crema and capers. And I thought it was very interesting. I looked at it. I was like, why do I have this on the side? Because I ordered it. I thought it was just like a soup. And then I went down this rabbit hole and I Googled like a hiaco and like, it's like very particular with these particular spices. But guess what? I loved it. It was delicious. It's so delicious. It's a dish typical from Bogota. It's not just Colombian, but it's very, very Bogotan. Yes, and you're right. We put heavy cream in it and you're supposed to put capers in there too. I hope they gave you the capers for it. They did. I didn't know what to do with them. I was like, what is this? What am I supposed to do with this? Like, I didn't know. So I ate it. Yeah, (laughs) I ate it without the cream and without the caper because I was like, I don't know what this is. What am I supposed to do? Because we ordered a sancocho and we ordered an ajiaco. It was just like, I know. We're recording this in the summer. This was like in the summer, we're ordering ajiaco and sancocho. So So I didn't know, but it was delicious. It was delicious. It is delicious. Yes. What Hispanic home remedy do you swear by? Um, 
I'm really not like a home remedy person. My parents really never wear. But one thing I can think about is the caldo, caldo for everything right? For hangovers. <laughs> yeah. So like a chicken caldo or a beef caldo, which is a broth, chicken broth or, or beef broth, cures everything. Cures cure your sadness. It cures your belly issues. It cures everything. Exactly. It does. <laughs> okay. What piece of financial advice have you received as a Latina that has helped you a lot? I think it's important to think about the future and save and to live within our means, right? But it's also important that we enjoy our money. I'm not saying that we need to go out and spend it all. But when we can, it's okay to go take that trip. It's okay to go splurge on those shoes that that you wanted. Because when you die, you're not going to be able to bury all the money that you saved with you. And when you look back, you never enjoyed life. Right. So I think that there needs to be a balance where, yes, I am putting money away and I'm making sure that I'll be okay when I retire and that my kids are going to be okay when I pass away. But I am also enjoying my life. Amen. Love that. Maria, what do you want your legacy to be? Oh, gosh. I want everybody to remember me as the person who changed families' lives. And I also want my girls to remember me as the mom who passed down the Colombian culture that they are so proud of. And hopefully, they will pass it down to their kids. Yes. Yes. Well said. Maria, once again, where can my listeners connect with you? Online. Our website is www.not-a-peep.com. Just like not a peep. And on social media, our handle is baby sleep coaching. There you have it. Please be sure to check her out to follow her and uh, happy sleeping. (laughs) You too, Jenny. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Maria, for educating us on our children's sleep. Here are this episode's key takeaways. One, sleep can help your child in language learning and development, especially slow wave sleep. Two, making sure your child goes to bed early is imperative in order for them to get the most of that slow wave sleep. Three, raising bilingual children and having bilingual sleep routine doesn't affect the quality of your child's sleep as long as the routine is consistent. Four, a teenager's circadian clock shifts three hours later and their development requires them to sleep more. They are not lazy. Five, if you help your child fall asleep, it will make it more difficult for them to fall asleep on their own if they wake up later in the middle of the night without you. Finally, every child is different and because of genetics may require more or less sleep. Tune into your child's needs and if you feel they aren't getting enough sleep, seek out professional help like Not A Peep to help you and your family get the sleep you all need. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Latina Mom Legacy Podcast. If you liked today's episode, be sure to follow and leave a positive review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to enter the bilingual and multicultural toy giveaway. For additional resources, visit thelatinamomlegacy.com or your show notes. Hasta la próxima. Chao, chao.